I'm hard in. You just wanted to say that. <laughs> hey, can I get, uh, when you introduce me at the beginning of the show, can you uh, introduce me from now on? Not today, obviously, it's too short notice, but could you play Shawn Michaels' Sexy Boy? You know that song, right? I'm just your sexy boy. I'm not your boy toy. All that. Remember that? You want that every week, yeah? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> every sports fan has an opinion. Well, these are ours. Ours. Welcome to Brock and Pep's Unsportsmanlike Convo. Right! Right! And here are your hosts, Brock Fleming. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is June 29th, 2021. I'm your host, Brock Fleming, and joining me... Our own prima donna asked for a walk-up song. Here we go. I said chill. Up and down their spine. I'm just a sexy boy. All right, so that's Sexy Boy, Pep Gariotti on the other side. That's uh, just disturbing. It is disturbing. What is? I can't believe you let me talk. Uh, anyway, oh, kudos. You got up? a walk-up song now. I'm going to have to put it in and have it easily accessible. How you doing, buddy? Hey, speaking, of, speaking of walk-up songs, there was a 70-year-old. Uh, did you see this uh, on the news? The 70-year-old lady was able to fulfill her dream of being a ball girl for the Yankees after she wanted to be one when she was 10, but was denied because she was a female. So that happened, I guess, last night. That's pretty cool. You know, come on. We've come a long way, I guess, eh? Well, yeah. I mean, it only took her 60 years. 60 years. 60 years to get his... How did she do? Like, was there any foul balls, line drives that come right at her? Like, was she snagging them or... (laughs) I didn't see that. I didn't see if she had to actually field anything, but... uh, it was cool that she was just out there. I, I don't know. They I feel like they would have shaking. had to give her like a face mask or something just in case. You know what I mean? Liability wise, like maybe a bit more padding. I don't know. Maybe she she looked fit. Like she was for seventy, she looked fantastic. I mean, I don't know what seventy looks like she anymore. Like fit. people are really fit. But no, she was. She was. You know, she and she wore the head. Like she had the glove and everything. She was all ready to go. So that was pretty cool. It was cool hey. to see. You know, gives us all hope. Yeah, yeah. Good on you. Good yeah. on you. Um, a couple of quick things. Uh, I just yeah. want to shout out a happy birthday to producer Mike. It was his birthday a couple of days ago. He is up with the in-laws way up north. He probably isn't even listening to this because I don't think they have internet up there. Um, or at least not uh, not stable enough to join the conversation or even probably listen. But a uh, big happy birthday to him. It's going to be uh uh, us running the show tonight so uh, cool. we'll do our best to make sure we see the comments and everything too and transitions as well uh the other thing i want to do real quick is just kind of shout out to my uh, my grandmother uh and my mother my grandmother's having a bit of a hard time in the uh, home right now uh, given you know covid and the length of it and all that kind of stuff and the social uh interactions being limited all that kind of stuff and i think uh she's uh I don't know. I think she's losing a bit of uh, will here, and it's. Uh, I'm sure it's extremely hard on everybody, including my mother. So I just want to say that uh, I love you, praying for you, all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah. Well, oh. I'm sorry to hear that, man. It's been uh, it's been tough for people outside of the homes, uh, like people like my mom, for example. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I get it. That's that's really difficult. I hope uh, I hope 
that the transition after COVID is is one where that you know they can reintegrate. I don't even know what to, what to call it, like reintegration to normal society where they're they have family that are able to visit again. Uh, you know, it looks like um, some of those long term care homes in Ontario are going to be moving forward in phase three with like basically full on kind of back to normal. So, oh, we'll see. I can't imagine how difficult that must have been. I'm really sorry, and you know, I, if for those of you. Uh, and Brock, your mom is like, your mom is a saint. Uh, she's one of the mm-hmm. best people I've ever met. And uh, I'm sure her mom is equally as uh, phenomenal, fantastic. And so, definitely, I mean, praying for them both. I want to yeah. shout out uh, on a sort of a different tune. Um, I want to shout out Lauren Goldenberg. I had a good conversation with him the other day. Goldie, who's yeah, been on our show just, already. Just to check in and... Um, and we were just chatting for a bit. We ended up chatting for about an hour. And uh, we were talking Steelers. Obviously, Lauren Goldenberg, he's uh, Ben Roethlisberger's personal trainer. But we talked a little bit of Steelers uh, out of respect to his privacy. You know, obviously, we didn't go into any detail. But uh, he did He did bring up, uh, he asked me my thoughts on the Argos. And uh, he reminded me that Martavis Bryant signed with them in the offseason. And uh, Nick Arbuckle is their quarterback. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic there, whether Martavis Bryant can stay out of trouble off the field, I mean, he's a talent on the field, no doubt. But uh, you know, I think off the field, he likes uh, he likes to, to have some fun or whatever. But uh, anyway, it should be an interesting dynamic. What do you think about Nick Arbuckle never taking a snap for the for the uh, Renegade? Oh, Renegades! Jeez, hey, Red Blacks, Red Blacks, Renegades. We've had three name changes in our lifetimes already. So, and we're not <laughs> even that old. So it's 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 all fair and love and war That's in that fair, part. Right? But, okay. Um, I mean. It, it, I don't know. We never had a chance to sort of fall in love with him and, and get attached to him. Uh, same way, you know, I don't think he has that attachment to the to the team and the organization and the fans. Maybe the city had kind of set up here and was, you know, expecting to be here for uh, a good amount of time and, and didn't really mm-hmm. get that, that sort of opportunity. Um, our fact checker in the back is uh, on the ball today, so he did yeah. just fact check us, and we are old. We are old, so that's, hey, uh, appreciate. Well, Nick Arbuckle for me was uh, a guy that the way he the way it sounded when he signed in Ottawa was this is a my my uh, my training camp, if you will, for one more uh, audition in the NFL. Right. So you you want a quarterback that kind of is all in on the city, and uh, which I'm really glad they signed Matt Nichols. You know, there's a connection with La Police there, and uh, I think Nichols is going to be great in Ottawa. I actually really like that signing. That's a really that's a really smart move. Familiarity, um, you know, I'm I'm excited about Ottawa. Yeah, I'm excited to see if Fell's back on. Period. You know, I mm-hmm. know that I mentioned that last time to see like who's going to be doing what in terms mm-hmm. of uh, their career. Uh, mm-hmm. After COVID, are people going to retire? Are they going to hang them up in different situations? Realize, you know, that maybe they're better off going on the next chapter of their lives. Now, you know, we're finding guys like Brad Sinopoli are retiring, yeah. and that's a that's a big loss. Like he is quiet, but he is one of the top receivers in the league and has been for years. So those kind of things, I'm sure, from a nickel standpoint, you say, okay, I'm losing a guy who would be counted on quite a bit in our passing game. Yeah. You know, that's going to affect some things. It, it Time will tell. You talk about Arbuckle, you know, saying that this is kind of a next step or stepping stone audition for him uh, to do the, to get to the NFL. Yeah, you want somebody who might be here for a long time. But the thing with the CFL, it's all about money, right? So if you have a guy like, you know, Trevor Harris or whatever, and we can't pay him 
the money that he needs, he's going to move on anyway. Mm-hmm. With Arbuckle, you say, at least I got a guy who's motivated to succeed and have great stats and a great season because he wants to get noticed at the next level. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's uh, maybe that plays out well for a team trying to uh, get back to relevancy again. Yeah, and you know what? You were banging on with some of those retirements. And I was on the uh, CKCU show uh, yesterday morning We talking with Jeff LaRock a little bit about the Habs. But he asked me my thought. Before we started talking Habs, we talked about uh, Brad Snopley. That's his favorite player. And Brad Snopley, Mike, uh, I believe he was in eight years. And he played for uh, Calgary and and Ottawa. He was a quarterback, obviously. He played Ottawa. He was a quarterback. uh, Apparently, technically, technically he was a nine-year CFL pro. I guess he went, maybe his first year didn't really, I'm not really sure exactly what it was, but he played five years in Ottawa and he averaged, I think one one year he had 114 catches, but he was in the 80s, 90s in terms of receptions all, all, every year, except for the last one. uh, When they, when obviously when Trevor Harris uh, took off with Ellingson, that was a bit of his security blanket, but you know, he still had 72 catches that year. So, I mean, that was, that's, he was a three-time East all-star in Ottawa. So, you know, a significant loss. I didn't really think it was that much of a loss, to be perfectly honest. No offense to you, Mr. Sinopoli. I had no idea, um, you know, how many receptions you actually accumulated until I actually looked it up. Uh, wow, he's a great player. Yeah, great player. And yeah. overlooked, you know what I mean? Like you said, you well, weren't aware necessarily of his greatness on the field. But yeah. I also, I think I, if we go back, I did call it that once Ellingson was gone, I thought that his receptions would go down, you um, it. which is what happens because you need to have that compliment. And he worked very well with Ellingson and the way they had the scheme uh, set mm-hmm. up in Ottawa was, was great for both of them. Um, but anyway, it's a, it was a great career. You know, we applaud him yeah. for, for what he did. Uh, you know, a kid that came through the Ottawa university scene too. So, yeah. um, you know, hats off to him on a, on a great career and, and, uh, and best wishes on sort of the next chapter. I'm curious to see what, what comes of that. Cause he's a, he got yeah. a great personality, you know, he's very outgoing. I can see him being in some form of media or some way of still sort of yeah, staying involved, o- but a position with Oseg. Well, there you go. All right. Yeah. Yep. So you nailed that too. <laughs> You're eight for eight tonight. That's a pretty <laughs> good start. Um, I want to shout out one more quick shout out before we talk about the Jays. Uh, the shirt I'm wearing is uh, I'm, I'll be running in the uh, run for women. It's sponsored by Shoppers Drug Mart, I believe. Nice. And uh, it's uh, to basically uh, bring awareness to uh, mental health awareness, specifically uh, for women. So I've been doing this. This is my fourth year now. And if you feel like donating, I'll post the link on our uh, on our web page and on my personal Facebook page, which most of you follow anyways. Um, um, our team is called the Royal Rumblers, and Heather Brown is our captain. So you can actually donate money um, to our to our cause. And um, I'll give you an example: our, the fee to, to actually do the race is 50, I think it's fifty five or sixty bucks, and thirty five plus tax goes to the cause. So um, okay. It's pretty good. If you donate money, I think it's a hundred percent of your donations go to the cause. So, anyways, I'll post that. And that's, do you get that's to see who donates? Uh, you can't. You have the option to post your your name or not. So, I was going to say whoever donates yeah. the most, we can throw in like a hat in or something like that. Oh, I like that idea. I'll talk to Heather about that. That's a great idea. So yeah, uh, that's all I got for intro. But we uh, we we're gonna get rolling here. The last couple of weeks we were so excited about the Jays, but we ended up putting them last in our itinerary. And by the end of the show, we're running out of time. So we're gonna start 
with the Toronto Blue Jays. Do you have this? Okay. That doesn't get me pumped up like it should, but it's a cool song. It doesn't get you pumped up? How about a hoodie? All right. Well, Um, uh, we'll figure out what a (laughs) donation, if it's a good donation, Mike, like a significant donation, we'll get you a hoodie. All right, bud? I want Are you? You got a lozenge or something in your mouth? Yeah, I got a sore throat. Sorry. (laughs) I I got to tell everybody, Mike Ferreira is the bargain king. (laughs) This man can buy and sell anything. Um you know, and fair, and he won't he won't dupe you, but he is the bargain king. I I, I gotta tell you. Um, okay, let's get to let's get rolling here. Let's do it. The Blue Jays made a trade today. I think one of many, possibly. I don't know. We'll see. This could be get the ball rolling, but not. It's early. The trade deadline is still, I think, a week or two away. Uh, they traded Joe Panic and a minor league pitcher for uh, in exchange for outfielder who's on the IL right now, uh, Corey Dickerson. And uh, a reliever, Adam, I think it's pronounced Simber. It's C-I-M-B-E-R. Don't know a lot about Adam Simber uh, other than what I saw on a highlight film, which is he's a side armor, which I really like. And I think it's just a different angle coming out of the pen. And, you know, I think it's cool. And, you know, it kind of adds an element of uh, of fun. I I like watching different quirky pitchers when they have their, like, whatever. You know, like Stroman was a fun pitcher to watch. You might not like him. But he I was like the like, first one that, yeah, the timing of his delivery, the pauses in the middle delivery, all that kind of stuff yeah. that he used to play with within the rules was a lot of fun. I think sidearm, I always think of, uh, uh, is it Eckersley? The, Dennis uh, Eckersley, yeah. The yeah. Oakland. He was like uh, a three-quarter. He was like a three-quarter arm, I found. But he was enough that, you know, it that messed with a lot of batters. Picking up the ball yeah. and stuff like that from, out of his delivery was was pretty tough to do. So, yeah, I agree with you. I like this, yeah. this sort of move. I would have liked to have seen um, – uh, Dicky come out of the the pen back when he was with us. You know, I like the knuckleballers, uh, yep. especially when it's a change of pace. I didn't like him as a starter, but coming out of a uh, out of the dugout or out of the bullpen, sorry, and you're going from a guy like Sanchez throwing 96, 97, then throw a knuckleballer out there. You know, that, I, I oh, like those sure. those transitions in the middle of the game are kind of fun to watch. Actually, Johnny Cueto is also a guy that changed his pace. He would sort of stop and give his little shimmy shake before he threw. You know who actually was, uh, I think, was, did a, a great job in change of pace and he benefited from having fireballers was Marco Estrada. He was, uh, like, he wasn't necessarily a, a bullpen guy, but they would go, like, Sanchez, Strowman, fireballers, and all of a sudden you got to see a guy who's, <laughs> I think his changeup was, like, 70 miles an hour and his fastball was 88. Yeah. Um, he benefited from that kind of thing, too. I, I saw him the last playoff game before they uh, they won game five in Toronto against Kansas City before going back to Kansas City in 2016, I think it was, 15 or 16. Yeah. Um, dude was lights out. Like, he was really yeah. hot. For, where is he now? <clears throat> Do we know? He's out, he's out of the game. He was – he by the, his last year in Toronto, he had his back was really bad. Um, I don't remember where he went after that. I'd have to look that up. We'd have to have a fact checker look that up. Maybe Kansas City. I can't remember. He went somewhere. Uh, but his back just continued to bother him, and uh, and that was that for him. I, I don't okay. think he's in the league right now. All right. Uh, do, do you expect more deals? Do you think this is just uh, like step one, and maybe they're going to flip one of these guys, or what? Do you, like, what do you think this is this they're setting up for with this trade? Um, you know, management with the Jays have been a pleasant surprise since the changeover. Um, you know, when you go through those. 15, 16, 17 type teams with all those guys that you really fall in love with. And then you have a management come in and, and almost clean house. 
it's initially, you know, you kind of take it as a slap in the face and it's really hard to get behind. But everything they've done has sort of paid off. So there is an end goal here. I think for me, I think this is just the beginning. The fact that they've sort of opened the door and started making trades, I think now is saying, okay, this is the time we're going to do that. And we're going to start to bring in people that will help us right now. The team they have, you know, we're sitting, I think in your notes, we have a third. I don't know how far exactly point-wise, but there is no reason for the Jays not to be able to catch the Rays or the Red Sox in this division um, with some pitching help, I guess, has really been the biggest struggle. How many games have they blown from the seventh inning on? You know, it's really not a stat that I want to look up because it's been disappointing, and we've probably let at least eight to ten games, 10 games probably I would think 10. slip through our fingers, which is a game changer at that point. And some of those are against these teams, so that's like a double whammy at that point. Um, I, I just think that because the Jays' management has started doing it, if they were a long, drawn-out plan, I don't know if these pieces are exactly that long-term Goal, I think it's more to say, you know what? We're ready to start making some moves. We need to make moves given our injury uh, list, all that kind of stuff at this point. Mm -hmm. So I I expect uh, more deals to come in the near future. Corey Dickerson's a good hitter. He's a left-handed bat too, right? So they, I mean, Panic was one of only three left-handed bats, I think, that the Jays actually have. Four if you you add uh, McGuire. So that's a left-handed bat that they replaced, a better bat. Um, I mean, I think some of the chatter online today, certainly on our page, was that another another outfielder. Like this is not what we, <laughs> this is not what we need. Um, but look, it's insurance for Springer. I mean, uh, his quad injury was it, it's tricky business. You know, when you when you pull a quad or tear a quad or whatever his injury is, it it, it can reaggravate potentially. I mean, he was on the DL for long enough. Hopefully, he's okay. But you never know. So I mean, it's a little bit of insurance there. You can DH. Insurance there, DH, that also frees up. You know, you've messaged me a couple times saying, who would you do? You know, would you give up a, you know, shop uh, Teoscar? Would you shop around Guriel? Like, Mm -hmm. these are guys that are fetching a pretty good return at this point. Well, I would think Guriel would fetch a starter and a reliever. uh, Who knows? Like, Guriel would fetch a lot. But Guriel and Teoscar, those guys are in Vladdy's inner circle. And I know we talked about this too. And like, it, does, does Vladdy have the clout yet to even like have a say in that? And you, you say, no, I agree with you. However, you don't want to upset Vladdy and then have him walk in three, four years because we traded away one of his pals. I mean, it's really tricky. What do you, what do you think about that? Vladdy's a guy who gets along with everybody. You know what I mean? So I think they're all going to have some sort of effect on him. Now you go get rid of everybody. He's out. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But there's also, yeah. he. I mean, he comes from a pedigree that understands the business and all that kind yeah. of stuff too. He also wants to win. So, you know, at some point, and I think Curtis even commented on it on the, the Facebook thing saying like, he doesn't feel, Vladdy doesn't give off that aura of like, I am going to be mad if you trade some of these guys. He wants to have fun. He wants to win. He wants, you know, he's put the work in and he's mm-hmm. focused on his, craft and his specialty and he's doing a phenomenal job at it so you know again there's a core group of guys there and i think that if you have to move one out of the core in order to get and significantly upgrade our rotation then i think who's going to have a problem with that hey listen and you know i gotta say um people were disappointed with panic's trade more more than i thought i mean he's he's a uh, he's a good 
like utility guy really at this point. But I mean, he's Joe Panic. Um, they brought in Simeon to have that you know veteran experience, uh, the veteran guy in the infield. They have um, Springer out in the outfield. Grichik's a, a vet. I, I don't think you need a hundred of those kind of guys. You know, maybe you know. I think ideally those bench spots are super valuable when you need to pinch hit or pinch run. You you can't have you can't look down the bench and see well what are my options to pinch hit Reese McGuire, uh, Jansen, or Joe Panic. I mean, they just I think they've improved their bench with this trade. To be honest with you, yeah, and I think Panic is a is a good well-rounded player who can play multiple mm-hmm. positions. So he's a very good trade piece to any team because any team yeah. might need a third, might need a second, might need an outfielder. You know what I mean? Yeah. Might need, So this kid can do it all in that sense. Is he an all-star at any of them? Maybe not, but he's very solid. So, mm-hmm. you know, he kind of fits in with almost any trade discussion you would have with another team. So, you know, it sucks when you see guys go. It is what it is. You just seem to get attached with uh, the Blue Jays or baseball players within that team, it seems that just to sure. see that camaraderie and they're kind of there. But ultimately, I think it's I think the Jays took a step in the right direction. For sure. Speaking of step in the right direction, how about the lineup with Springer in it is scary. I mean, now you're looking at Simeon, Bichette, Vladdy, Teoscar, Springer, Gurri- Grichik, Guriel. I mean, Guriel hitting seventh or sixth. I mean, Grichik and Guriel are uh, interchangeable. Like now they're super deep. Now they have some. I don't think. I don't think Telez is part of the part of this equation. I really don't. I mean, uh, where are they going to fit that guy? Number one. What number two? What's he bring to the? What's he bring to the table? But like, if you're looking at that lineup as I, as I just stated, as it's constructed, like the basically the weak link is number the number nine hitter, and McGuire's played well, mind you. It's been all. Um, against the Orioles, all he's doing all this against the Orioles, one of the worst teams in baseball. So let's pump the brakes on uh, on uh, Reese McGuire being the next Pat Borders there. Like everybody, calm down. I think he's. I think it is his positive. He's hit. He's hit the ball really well. But what are they going to do with their catching situation once Alejandro Kirk comes off the DL and and Jansen? What do you think they do? They stand Pat. Um, I think there's a... We've talked about this all year, by the way. Yeah, because that's kind of the, you know, other than pitching, which is obvious, mm-hmm. uh, the catching spot seems to be nobody's really stepping up and saying, this is mine. Um, and I think for that, you're just, you're riding hot hands for the mar- most part. Um, I don't think mm-hmm. anybody comes in and, and takes it. I think it's a matter of a rotation. I think there will be talk of... Uh, moving a piece like that if a team is interested and they can get somebody in return, which also uh, eliminates those internal um, dugout discussions as to who should be starting and when, because you, know, you can have too many options. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's not fair. If you have three guys thrown through these rotations, DHing, playing catcher, maybe some of the guys play a different position to sort of get some more time, whatever. Those become, yes, it's nice to have guys that can play, but at the same time, those are decisions that Charlie just doesn't want to have to deal with. You know what I mean? It would be great yeah. to have a guy say, this is our guy. You need a, re- uh, a relief every once every six games. Sure, we'll throw somebody mm-hmm. in, but we have that position set. So if you get rid of somebody to bring in something that will help you from a pitching standpoint, you say, okay, well, that's at least one decision I don't have to make. It's two guys now. We'll bounce through. If there's an injury, we'll deal with it at that point. But it's just something else that's off his mind. 
Um, so I, but I think honestly, until somebody steps up and, and actually seizes the, the, the position and takes it for their own, uh, which I don't necessarily see any of these three doing it. I think it's going to be by rotation by committee. I'm a firm believer of, and this goes football too. I'm a firm believer of you solidify down the middle. So I always felt like you need a catcher who is your guy, who's going to play a hundred games, just like a backup goalie. You're, you know who your number one is, and your number two comes in every fourth game to spell the guy. And that's mm-hmm. that's how I always felt about the catcher. And like you just nailed it. Like It feels like they're just riding the hot hand. And Reese McGuire is not going to hit like this the rest of the year. I mean, I hope he does. I hope I'm wrong. I hope suddenly he becomes the hot man because he catches a pretty good game, actually. And, uh, you know, and, and he splits the time with a guy like Kurt. Now, I know Jansen's put in a lot of time. He's a good catcher behind the plate, but he's just shown me nothing at the plate. And um, I guess it's a good problem to have. They're going to probably roll with McGuire for a few more games, see what they got in him, see if this is all legit, and uh, and then see what's out there. But when we talk about uh, trade, like really impactful trades, I, a part of me doesn't want to see them blow it up. Like they're so young and so talented, and they have more youth coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if these guys don't pan out, if there's a guy waiting in the wings right now in the minors, it keeps that internal competition going. Like, do you want to see them make a make a make a bold move like they did with? Uh, I'll use the '93 team instead of the 2015 team. Um, like a bold move, like getting uh, Carter and Alomar for McGriff and Fernandez. That was pretty bold. Do you want to see them do something like that now? It really depends on the pieces that are going. Um, I think that. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, like they're young, yeah, they're young, but they're also extremely competitive now. So I don't want to see them sit and wait and say, you know what, we got all this stuff building up, and then we're gonna, you know, whatever, be really <clears> good <throat> in three years. Uh, you can't expect you gotta make that. Your move. You can't exactly. Either we're not yeah. going to afford people, guys will get hurt, guys, whatever. It just if it's working and we're close, and you feel internally, look, we are this close to making a real impact here. Sure, make those deals. Do what you had yeah. to do. You know, obviously the one and dones you don't want to see as much. You want to see guys that are around, but you keep the core, you know, a few of the outskirts. You can kind of deal if you need to, but I just, you can't, there's the future, but then there's, you know, almost killing yourself by looking into the future too far. Mm-hmm. I, I think s- simply, I think uh, I would like to see, Joey Gallo, if they can if they can scoop him up from Texas, I'd like to see him. He's not a he's not an all star third baseman, but he could play third base consistently, and he's a big bat. And you know that's a premier position. Like there was talk again. I was reading tw- through Twitter and Instagram and uh, some of these other platforms, and the people are talking about, hey, you know, like uh, uh, Espinal deserves a, a, a chance to play third. Yeah, Espinal's a two at, at best two seventy hitter, which isn't which is great, but like. Third base is a premier position. It's a like if you look at the history of the third base position, it's a bopper, a guy who's got some pop, and a guy who's got a good arm. You know, look at Donaldson, Rafael Devers, uh, Manny Machado. Like this, it's a premier position. Mm. So no, I don't want to see Espinal play third full time. I think he's a great utility guy, but that's where I think. So I think they need a third baseman. I think they should at least look at the catching position. Hundred percent. And uh, once, ideally, a starter and a guy in the bullpen. My strategy for the bullpen would be let's go out there and poach some veteran guys. There's no need to go to go crazy with the pen. Do what you did in 2015 by getting guys like Jason Grilly and Latroy Hawkins. Right. Um, that that solidified everything. You already have a pretty good pen. They're just a lot of them are just hurt. 
But when they come back, you're gonna have you're gonna have be sending guys down. So like, deal some of your sort of you know also rands in the in the minors and get a guy like Matt Harvey who's pitching out of the pen in in Baltimore who who Baltimore brought him in because they know they're not going to compete. They know teams competing teams are going to want Matt Harvey at the deadline. That's why they bring a guy like that in. So a team, a guy like that is perfect for the Jays. So we'll see what happens. That's also a setup for a higher return or something of greater value long-term for the Orioles, yeah, right? That's what they exactly. want to do. The thing with the catcher too, I talked about from a committee standpoint, that could also be the issue we're having with the, with the pen or not helping is when you have inconsistency is who's catching you. You know what I mean? Like you have to have those relationships. It's an important relationship between the pitcher and the catcher understanding, mm-hmm. you know, each other. And I think that uh, if we can establish some consistency there, I think that would ultimately help the the pitchers overall. But I'm totally agreeing with you. I love seeing that. If we see some of the guys, like a, a Matt Harvey's a, a great example, but some of that where they're, they're a veteran, they know how to play the game, they know how to, you know, they don't get rattled by things. They're not trying yeah. to just straight overpower somebody and they can fill their role accordingly. And that would be perfect. And we're hearing this term high leverage situations. I've hear, I'm hearing it more and more every year, uh, putting pitchers in high leverage situations. Can they handle it? I mean, you know, they don't even have a clear cut closer right now. It just, it seems like it's Jordan Romano, but he wasn't brought in to close. So like, I, I like clearly identified roles. Everybody does it at their workplace when they know what their role is. The Jays pen doesn't seem to have like who's the long who's the long relief guy? They have one or two guys that they kind of can play there. Who's the setup? Who's the close? They don't. Really, it's all kind of a mishmash. No, you know who the setup guy is? Chatwood, because he sets me up for thinking we're going to win, and then he freaking blows it. Uh. <laughs> Poor guy. He's you know what? He's either uh, who I think it was your was it your brother that said he's either lights out like right in the strike zone, or he's just all over the map, and there's no in between. Just spraying it. It's like it's either four and zero, four pitch walk, or three straight strikes, and you're out. It's crazy. But I want to, I want anyway. them to start panning to the whole team when Chatwood runs out of the dugout and everybody's going. Ugh. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I feel bad for him, but just not great. Uh, you know what? I don't want to spend any more time on this particular uh, this next question I have for you. Um, that's it for Jays, by the way. Uh, so looking forward to the next couple of weeks. But ah. Uh, we talked about a little bit about this last week about the MLB cracking down on uh, you know foreign substances foreign substances found on gloves. Uh, the Mariners' Hector Santiago was uh, his reaction was pretty good too. <laughs> he was suspended for ten games because he had a foreign substance on his glove. Um, it's ridiculous what they do. This, this is the first guy to actually be caught in live in a game um, since they announced this. So they took the glo- <laughs> they took the glove. You think it was like something from the government, some secret agent. And they put it in a bag and they fold the bag and it's like a anti anti germ bag or whatever. And they It was the, a glad is, garbage bag. Like it was so stupid. It was... <laughs> and they're gonna analyze the glove. He says it's just rosin that he put in between the fingers of the glove because he doesn't want to step off the mound every two seconds to to you know to get his hand stickier. I mean well, clearly someone's lying. They <laughs> the MLB says no, it's a it's a substance, and he's like, no, it's rosin. So, someone's lying. Should he be penalized if he's caught lying? I don't know. <laughs> I don't care. The whole thing's just. My I mean, thing is, why even? <laughs> why doesn't the? Why don't they just say use whatever you want? It doesn't matter. Like well. use whatever you want from a pitching standpoint. I don't know. Would that be more fun to see balls spinning? 
more so than they are now? Would that, you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. I don't see a, a huge, like I get it, but I also yeah. don't get it at the same time. Why is there so much effort put into like what you're using from a, a compound standpoint as opposed to just letting them play? I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know enough about the impact that uh, the tar, for me, if my hands are too sticky, it affects like I, you know, I, when I'm playing basketball, my hands now, as I've gotten older, they've gotten a lot, like they have a lot less grip. So I find like, even if just putting some sweat on my hand, it makes a big difference. But like when my hands are too sticky, it throws off the rotation of the ball. And I can't imagine being a pitcher. Um, anyway, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be, we're going to see, this is going to become a gong show and God forbid they uh, test somebody in the playoffs in, in a high leverage situation and uh, and they catch a pitcher like uh, in the playoffs where they got to yank the guy. I mean, it, it could get ugly. They should have waited till the offseason for this. Um, but like uh, like Steve Phillips said, you got nothing to worry about if you're not cheating. And I, he really uh, he was very interesting. And Steve Phillips is a baseball analyst for Sportsnet who I really, really like. Um and he's generally pretty conservative with his with his views, and he sort of gives the two sides of every story. He was pretty firm on this, and I, he's like, "Look, you've been cheating for years. Now the MLB wants you to stop. You got nothing to worry about if you're not going to cheat." So it was an interesting uh, perspective I found, uh, and you know, kind yeah, of the it's been of what a, you're saying. <laughs> well, yeah, it's been a rule, I guess, forever. They just haven't enforced it, right? So no, it's it's exactly. not like it's a new rule. It's just they've let you get away with it for so long, and now they're saying no more. Okay. No more. Whatever. Just the timing of that no more, I think, is what uh, upset everybody. But Oh, for sure. Um, just moving on. England beat Germany today. I think that's. I think it's an upset. I think it's considered an upset in soccer. Uh, that was kind of a big deal. I'm upset um, we're talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had it on today. I was like, oh, the soccer uh, game's on. I'm like, England-Germany. Uh, Ooh, that's a premier matchup. And then I was like this. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> That's it for me. I got nothing. Uh, Switzerland beat France, which was also an upset. And our 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 boy Mike Ferreira has. I just I didn't even realize this, but they lost. It's a huge upset, Mike. I'm just talking about you. About your Portugal team lost to Belarus. So there's some serious upsets going on in the Euro Cup here, and uh, it gets pretty. You know what? I don't think I don't think I never realized. I mean, I guess I did, I did realize how, just how popular soccer is in Europe. It is. It is religion up there. Like, I don't even think hockey can compare in Canada. Do you? Uh, hockey can compare in Canada to what soccer is in Europe? Yeah. Um, like, it's a, probably a different kind of fanaticism, but it's, it isn't, though. Like, it, I mean, I, it, it's crazy up there. Yeah, I think it's, it is a different kind. The stadiums are bigger, so you have more people. You know, 90,000 people, yeah. You know, they're all hammered. Um, and then there's only one thing a game to cheer for. So it's like they save that all up for one big explosion and say, Hey, there's the goal we were waiting for. We're all going to go nuts. Yeah. Where hockey, there's hits, there's big plays, there's a couple goals, there's whatever. I know there's more goals than that in soccer sometimes, but really mm -hmm. it feels like there's, uh, to me, it doesn't seem like as much to cheer for. So you're just kind of like, I don't know. They're also, you know, really passionate about it to a point that, you know, it, hooliganism is a soccer term, I think. I believe so. Anyway. <laughs> okay, move, moving, moving on. on. <laughs> um, Aaron Rodgers. So, came out today. I, I, didn't, I didn't even realize this. He has an opt-out clause that could save him $20 million 
Um, other like if he decided to sit out for the whole season, he would lose that if he didn't opt out. He could opt out of his contract and save twenty million, uh, but he has to decide that by this Friday. Number one, do you see him opting out? Do you see him bailing on the Packers? And if he doesn't, do you think he do you think he cares about the twenty million? Do you think he'll sit out until they trade him? You know, that's a that's a tough one. One, you started this whole thing by Aaron Rodgers came out today. Pause. Which might have thrown a lot of people off, giving the uh, Carl Nassib news. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, I don't think he came out. I think it came out. I, uh, yeah, I don't I, think he, he reported it. but <laughs> I, I saw that somewhere, uh, and I thought it had something to do with COVID, a COVID opt-out or something. But... Um, which, anyway, it may or may not be the case. Be. Either way, July 2nd is being the date. I don't know. That's that's really tough. We're going to see. I think either he takes the opt-out if he's really serious about it, but mm-hmm. um, I feel like he's not going to take that. I think he'll still end up back in Green Bay. I think, I think a lot of it could be, too, as a veteran – you're just like, ah, I don't, I don't need to do OTAs. I don't need to do all these warm up things. Mm-hmm. Like he's got the the offense pretty down pat, controls it all anyway. So why even bother if he's just going to hold out, and maybe yeah. get another piece? But um, you know, if he does, you know, there's going to be a big pay per view televised uh, Aaron Rodgers party on uh, July second. Then I feel mm-hmm. like he'll might just take that opt out and take the twenty million and go. <laughs> yeah. Possibly, and he could end up. Who knows where he'll end up? I think uh, Denver's a, a probably a pretty good destination for him. If he opt out, he, he can't play this year. Oh, is that what? How, is that how it works? If he like opts he, out of his contract, he forfeits his year. Well, I don't think. Anyway, I have to see what's the what kind of opt out this is. But I don't think. Mm-hmm. I think it's opting out of the season. So I don't think he can opt out, get $20 million, and then go sign for a different team. I don't think there's that. Oh, but I thought it was – the way I read it, it was an opt-out clause in his contract that he had that was there. I like could be wrong. Signed at, like, we have I a fact checker too. in the back. I don't know if he's yeah. meeting or not, but I'll have him take a look, and maybe he can find sure. something for us. Anyway. Uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders signed former number one uh, NFL draft pick Paxton Lynch, who's you know bounced around. We went with, I think, the Broncos. Yeah, and he went to uh, – he was a back. He was actually the practice squad guy in Pittsburgh last year. Um, they have Cody Fajardo. Did I pronounce that correctly? Fajardo. Uh, Fajardo. Think, yeah. Um, thoughts on a guy like Paxton Lynch succeeding in the CFL? Yeah, same as anybody that that's come up. You know, if he gets an opportunity, and I mean, he's got a good arm. He's got all the tools. He comes from an NFL pedigree. You know what I mean? Like he went mm-hmm. pretty high up. Wasn't given. Didn't fit the situation in, uh, I think it was Denver when he got picked up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they didn't really give him a lot of help either. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's all situational. Now he's in the CFL. Maybe he's got a chip on his shoulder. Maybe he gets that op- opportunity. I think Fajardo is injury prone too. So, you yeah. know, who knows? Uh, uh, hey, listen, these guys come up from the States and they think it's a cakewalk down here. I tell you. We've seen more CFL guys blow up and and have really great NFL careers than vice versa, and that's a fact. I mean, I don't. It's not an easy game down here. You're, you're making two or three extra reads. You know, it's everything happens so fast. Uh, the defense is yes, they're a yard off the line, but they're coming at you basically with um, with a running start <laughs> with that yard off the line. I mean, it's it's no joke up here if you're playing quarterback, in my opinion. Um, what do you think about, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't want to spend the time, I didn't 
prepare you for this question, but what do you think about the comparisons between a CFL quarterback and an NFL quarterback and what they actually have to see? And we've talked about this. You mentioned the windows as being the yeah. biggest, sort of the biggest thing, but like, is it hard to play quarterback in the, in the CFL? Yeah, it's hard to play quarterback at any level. Period. Like, the the amount of information you need to retain and read, you got to make, especially at a professional level. Jamarcus Russell obviously did it in college pretty well, but couldn't handle the NFL style or the playbook. I guess is more his uh, kryptonite. <laughs> but you know, we said it before. You know, I when I first heard it as being younger, they kept talking about his <laughs> arm strength in the NFL as being. Um, you know, you need to have a stronger arm in the NFL. And I never understood. I'm like, the field's bigger in Canada. So to throw those out routes, you got to be able to get the ball out there. But the difference is that you need to get the ball to a receiver faster in a smaller window in the NFL than you do in the CFL. Again, it's just a different kind of strength. It's throwing it from a velocity standpoint versus throwing it from a, a distance standpoint, I guess, from the CFL and hitting those marks. There's still reads. There's still going to be a lot of things that he needs to process between every mm-hmm. play. Um, I think he's a pretty decent runner too, which should help him. Big guy. He runs pretty well. Yeah. Um, but again, it's just like you said, if he comes up and he takes the CFL position um, game lightly, then mm-hmm. he's going to get chewed up. He's going to learn pretty quick that it's not a, a, a walk in the park. If he comes up with that mindset and understands it and say, hey, you know, I'm going to put the work in and do it, then he has all the tools to, to be successful. So it'll be basically his success will be determined on how he approaches it, which is what seems to be the issue with a lot of people that come up from the NFL. Well. As a as a Riders fan, I'm uh, I'm obviously cheering for his success. So, uh, but yeah, Cody Fajardo was was good. He was a really close. I think it was one throw away from uh, the Riders representing in the last Grey Cup, not the not the Blue Bombers. So, anyways, um, what next? Oh yeah, some weird stuff going on in Chicago uh, in in their in their sports scene. I was reading today the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, their franchise is in trouble. Um, there's some uh, sexual misconduct allegations going on dating back to 2010 from a trainer, I guess, to a player. Um, and Black it makes Hawks? you wonder, of course, yeah, the Blackhawks yeah. makes you wonder, of course, uh, like if you're an NHL player, how could you let that happen? But you know, it's then of course someone brought up the, I think you actually had mentioned, Hey, it might be a, a young influential player who's looking just to keep, stay with the big club. And you know, some of these older trainer guys or whatever can really have uh, can dictate your future basically. Um, so there, uh, you know, a report came out today that a lot of Blackhawk players knew what was going on in 2010. So that doesn't look good. Um, their longtime, uh, play by play guy retired today, sort of abruptly just citing that the team is like, just not fun to, to work for the team itself. They made a little bit of progress last year after not doing well the year before, but like where the hell's Jonathan Taves, they haven't updated anything about him in six months. Um, Patrick Kane, he's got one year left on his contract. What do they do after that? Their defense is weak. Uh, their goaltending is average. So the, what I read is that, you know, the franchise itself is in jeopardy. It's an original six franchise in one of the biggest cities in, in North America. Like what? They can't possibly. Hey, listen, money talks, man. We've seen, we've seen teams uh, leave cities, uh, you know, in the past if the money isn't there. Is this like legit? You think like could, uh, the Blackhawks? What? 
I heard Vince Vaughn is uh, no longer a Blackhawks fan, too. So, hey, that was probably the last straw. <laughs> That's a big deal. <laughs> Um, That's a big <laughs> not to make light of any of the accusations that have happened with the Blackhawks thing. Um, you know, now we're not just talking about a money thing. We're talking about a multiple facet issues with these teams. And I think um, depending on the results and the outcomes of some of these accusations, uh, that may or may not play into what happens Otherwise, I don't have much else to add just because it's really tough to see or to to think of these teams leaving Chicago. Now, I know that right? the Bears standpoint is a different location, but I think it's still in the Chicago area from what I understand. Um, anyway, they're old, longstanding. They need to upgrade some of their facilities and stuff like that too. But the accusation standpoint, that's, that's a total different discussion. Yeah. Um, and I don't think has any real bearing on the team moving or not moving. Uh, but those are issues they need to address pretty quick. Well, it kind of when it rains, it pours. And the whole, the bear situation is weird. Uh, you know, Mike Dicker came out the other day and said, uh, you know, the bears belong in Chicago. Uh, that's it. That's all. That's, you know, point final. And it's like, yeah, well, of course they do. Where else are they going? And then you read the article and then they want to build a stadium. But, Initially, when when they were talking about moving away from Soldier Field, which is really the field is really quite old, um, part of the deal was if they do move and if they do build, that they change a name to the area. So it's like the Arlington something or other Bears. Um, I, I, that's I think it's just crazy. Number one, it's the Chicago Bears. Like they're oh, Chicago. change the name of the team. Yeah, the, well, the city, anyways. Um, it would be the Bears, but it'd be the Arlington something or other. Now that was initial. That was initially when they were thinking about you know building in a certain area, and this is what it was going to take, and this is what we're going to be called. And I think the Bears said, "Well, uh-uh. <laughs> we're the we're the Chicago Bears." Um, so I'm sure I'm sure it'll work itself out. I can't see that being a big deal. Um, Matt Putfan was talking to me today, and he said, you know, two thirds of Chicago is uh, is for or is in favor of the move. Like Soldier Field is is a re- it's a relic. But yeah. it's along the water. Do you remember in the late '80s, Philadelphia had a hell of a team, but and they were playing in the in Chicago, and all of a sudden it was the fog bowl. The fog rolled in off the off the the river. Like I mean, that's not fun to play in front of that. And you know, it's not fair. It ends up ruining ruining the game. And you're going to get bad weather in Chicago, whether it's in Arlington or whether it's where they are at Soldier Field. So you're going to get your weather, guys. Um, it doesn't have to be like fog and wind and all that other nonsense that really kind of ruins a football game. So anyway, it's going to be interesting to see. I um, I can't anticipate anything happening this year, but the city of Chicago, guys, wake up, uh, get your act together. And for the record, Mike Ditka did not say point final. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. I'm guessing he's uh, he knows zero French. I'm sure. Although he did coach New Orleans for a couple of years. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, what do we want to go to next? Uh, oh, do do you have the time? Just give me one minute. Just give me one minute. I I was going to do two minutes. Just give me one minute on my thoughts on the NBA. Yeah. (laughs) I'm upset. (laughs) That's the intro to Pep's rant because he's upset. (laughs) I ain't happy. I'm just going to give you one minute here. Uh, the NBA right now, they're in the obviously they're in the semifinals. Uh, the Bucks and, and Hawks are on the one side, and the Clippers and the Suns are on the other. The oh, the, the Clippers and Suns game was just a uh, look. The NBA, if you're listening, 
you need to fix the situation at the end of each game. And I'm not talking just about the amount of timeouts. I'm not talking about the reviews that the referees take. And they're taking too long, by the way. Um, and I'm not talking about all the, the fouls that these guys are trying to draw, taking three-pointers. Like, your game is kind of broken. That The hack-a-shack, I saw, I saw the, the Sixers, they were hacking Ben Simmons, um, the team that the Sixers were playing, the Hawks. They were hacking him for the last two minutes of the game. So for the last two minutes of the game, every time Philadelphia got the ball, Ben Simmons went to the foul line. That's not basketball. Referees taking two minutes to review a call. That's not basketball. It ruins the momentum of the game. And momentum in basketball is probably the most important in any sport. Because in basketball, the most points are scored. Like games are in the hundreds. And it's a game of streaks. You'll see one team score 10 in a row, then the other team will score 12 and 10 and 12. You take away that momentum, you're actually ruining the integrity of the game. And these players who are pump faking guys at the three-point line, trying to draw fouls, you know, running into them, kicking their legs out on threes. Like, what is going on? Yeah. And I don't necessarily blame the officials. The officials are really just being told. That's your, that's your just, minute. Is that my time? That's your minute. But the officials are just being told how to officiate these games. So front office, you guys got to do better. That's my rant. I'm not happy. I'm a basketball fan, Brock, so you know me. It pains me to go this route. But, like, the game is broken, man. They got to fix this. It's a mess. Real quick, your thoughts on the offensive fouls that are going to be implemented next year where, you know, we're getting rid of the Hardens throwing themselves in while they're shooting, the legs that are being flared to get uh, fouls, all that kind of stuff from an offensive standpoint are supposed to be now called as offensive fouls. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy about it. Uh, like I, I'm kind of what I alluded to. I mean, I'm happy about it. It's, it's too late. It's too late. This has been going on for three, four years. And if they're going to implement these rules, are they going to, are they going to enforce them for longer than just a season or two? Like they did with uh, the flopping. Um, they did that one year. They cracked down on the flopping. It was like an automatic T. You know what they should do, Brock, when they do this kind of stuff? If you, if you violate that rule or violate a rule that they want to crack down on, kick them out, kick them out of the game. Like it's they true. do in baseball. Boom. They don't, out. You get a warn. You get a warning in baseball, right? Or and then you're out. You know, forget the technical fouls. Forget the technical fouls. You do one thing and you're gone, and that's it. And do that for a year, and you're going to upset a few people. But you know what? They're going to they'll they'll change their ways. Yeah, you'd think so. Anyway, sorry, I'm, Mikey. I'm I know I'm move. usually on the left. Hey, we're mixing it up today <laughs> after his little rant. Um. All right, the Montreal Canadiens. Took a thump in game one, but let's not panic because the team in 93 also lost 4-1 to the Kings. Um, And in game two, obviously we all know what happened with the stick measurement and that worked out. And then uh, the Habs lost to the Vegas in game one too, didn't they? Yeah. Fairly handily. I think they lost to, did they lose to Toronto in game one? Oh yeah, they sure did. I mean, they looked, you know, they looked outmatched, but they'll regroup. They'll regroup. Um, they are allowing 10,000 fans. So that's, up, that's up from 3,500 fans uh, the last round. Yeah, that's a great thing. It'll be 10,000 fans. There was a, the most expensive tickets were going for $32,000. Did you see that? Supply and demand. Supply, Supply and demand. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, this just in. Did we know Fleury won the Vezina? Oh, I did not know that. We just got the what? inside scoop from our fact checker. Congratulations to a flurry. Yeah, nice. awesome. I mean, great stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's exciting. Yeah, supply and demand. You take 
25,000 seats and say, you know what, we're going to sell 3,000 of those in the biggest series of the NHL playoffs mm-hmm. um, in a Canadian city uh, that is starving to see a live entertainment, live sporting event. We've been mm-hmm. locked up for the last year and a half um, that ha- have been spending money on a lot of stuff because they've been at home. Yeah, those seats are going to go, and people are going to pay that. That's just what it is. Now, does it look probably a little peculiar uh, from an outsider standpoint, from the States to say we're going to have 3,000 people in the stadium, but there's 40,000 people crammed (laughs) in the block letting fireworks and whatever? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So the fact that they're opening it up to at least 10,000 is still given the fact that there's so many people out and about anyway, it's almost like just let them pack the house. But hey, we had friends, uh, I had friends on Facebook post that they actually drove up not to the game, but to the outside, like to hang out and, and show their kids what it's like during Montreal playoffs, which is really wild. Um, this, the similarities between this year's team and an I three team, not exact, not on the ice necessarily, but like the progression, the path to the cup, really, really very similar. I mean, that 93 team had, went down to Quebec 2-0, and then they came back and won that series. Then they were supposed to play Boston, which would have been really hard back in 93. That's a tough team with Cam Neely and all those guys. Boston lost to Buffalo, so they end up getting a kind of a, a break there playing Buffalo. And in the third round, they should have played Mario and Yager. They ended up playing the Islanders instead. So luck of the lady luck on their side back in 93 in terms of uh, you know lucky bounces. And then the Kings. I mean, I don't really, I don't remember how the Kings finished. Were they, were they ahead of Toronto that year? I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember either. I know they beat them, obviously, but like, yeah, um, well aware of that. Know. Thanks, Gretzky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you know, that was again, that was a good matchup for for Montreal. Uh, so we'll kind of see the same path to the to the Stanley Cup with this year's edition of the uh, the Habs. With you know, they beat a tough Toronto team, but then. You know, I don't think they would have beaten the Oilers. I think the Jets, uh, you know, beating the Oilers did uh, the Habs a favor. I don't, I don't think the Habs beat Colorado. I think Colorado was just too fast, too strong, too big. They took on the Vegas instead, who's was a lot worse than I thought they were going to be. Actually, I thought they were a lot better than what they showed. I didn't see anything from Stoner. I didn't see anything from Pacioretty. Um Montreal neutralized those guys. Yeah, pretty that's well. that speaks volumes for what the Habs did. Like those guys are. Yeah, eh? are effective scores and it just seemed like they were um, constantly frustrated with not being able to establish the zone, the offensive zone and and set things up and and get in front of the net and, and do the things they wanted to do. Montreal was very good at for sure neutralizing them. Well, all that being said, Tampa's pretty awesome. Here's the thing. Vasilevsky's the best goalie in the world. No. Uh, He's (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, all right he's pretty good um yeah <clears throat> i was going for the leafs lost going for the jets lost going for the vegas lost if the islanders had won i've been going for the islanders tampa won i'm over tampa <clears throat> out i'm going for the habs all they right. lost game one my hope is that it's not a complete jinx <laughs> but we run that risk, okay? So just so you know, it's it's a 50-50. We'll see what happens hey. in game two. And if game two goes anything like game one, then, uh, hey, 
I apologize. That's the that's my curse. Tampa's Tampa's loaded. Sergachev and uh, the guys on the back end, they're headmen, and uh, like it's just they're loaded. Kucherov is back. Stamkos is motivated. They've got uh, Braden Point, who's probably their best player. Um, Yanni Gord, and um, they are stacked. This is a different beast. So Montreal has their hands full. It's going to be awesome to watch. Definitely in Montreal, it's going to be crazy to watch. Um, so looking forward to watching that on TV. Um, just a couple of other NHL notes. No big deal, but I just thought I'd mention them. Uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins signed uh, uh, eight-year. I, I hate eight-year contracts. Five to six for me is my comfort zone if I was a GM, but what do I know? Five mil a year. Troy San Luis says that's a, actually a bargain. He'd know. Um, so he's staying with the Oilers for eight years. That might, I guess because of, of the five mil per year, it still makes him tradable if it doesn't work out. Uh, what do you think about that, a contract that long in any sport? We're just seeing more and more of it. That's just what it is. The thing is, these are long contracts that are guaranteed contracts, right? NHL is guaranteed. So he's getting that yeah. wherever he goes. It's good for the player, for sure. It's great for the player. Yeah. Football, you get an eight-year deal. You know, it's not guaranteed because you get cut or released and they don't owe you that money. That's why it's structured differently. You see an eight-year deal with, you know, 60% of it up front or as signing mm-hmm. bonus or guaranteed. It's all about the guaranteed money that you see with the NFL contracts, but that's just where it's going. You know, yeah. there's so much uncertainty. There's so much uh, risk of injuries, all that kind of stuff that has got to be there. And if you can lock a deal up for eight years, guys should say, you know what? Yeah, I'll take less, I'll, but I'm going to do it over eight years. So it's not going to be as one-year heavy. And he's at that sure. point in his career where he's not going to be fetching $12 million a, a year and saying, you know what, I'm going to have a, a real good high two or three years mm-hmm. and let's maximize mm-hmm. it, and then I'll take a longer deal. He's at that point now. So now you take yep. it. He's going to be probably 30 by the time or whatever, 30-something by the time his contract's up. And then that's it. He said it said actually that it's uh, five point one mil annual average annual. So it could be it could be front loaded. It could be back exactly. loaded. Who knows, right? Whatever. Yeah. Um, just just coming off my uh, on my screen here, Connor McDavid just won the Hart Trophy. No surprise there, I don't think. But uh, we'll give him a lair horn. At a boy, the Leafs are bringing back Wayne Simmons for a couple years. Uh, they also signed Spezza. Uh, we've seen how valuable vets can be on these teams, i.e. Stahl and Perry and their effect on the Montreal Canadiens, a young team. Uh, do you think the Sens should start start looking for a vet? I mean, they really haven't done that in the last couple of years with that young team. They, I mean, they would benefit from a vet, no? Well, I think now they're at the point where they can consider that. I think before it was all about <clears throat> development and young player experience, so you want to get them out sort of on the ice as much as possible. You're, it's hard to sell a vet to come in in a rebuild sort of setup. Um, mm-hmm. But if now if they're starting to compete, they feel like they could take that next step, then mm-hmm. you start putting those vet pieces in to really sort of solidify the uh, the locker room, the the demeanor of the team, the expectations, all that kind of stuff. I think you can start looking for that. But it's got to be the right fit. And you talk about the value of it. I mean, you know, the Leafs had a bunch of vets. That didn't last very long in that first round, did it? So, you know, it, it's got to be the right fit. Although, again, on the same note, I am extremely happy that they brought Spezza back, and I'm fine with Simmons too, but Spezza more so uh, of bringing him back because I think he's uh, – I think he's shown himself to be a, a valuable addition for that team. Hey, Spezza and Perry were on that Dallas team that made the uh, cup final last year. So that's all you need to know about that. Um, yeah, I'm with you there. I'm with you. I, I saw a crazy proposed trade the other day. Crazy. Jack Eichel to Calgary 
for Matt Kachuk and Sean Monahan. And I think there was another prospect. This is a proposed trade. Whether I mean, it's just again, if you throw it in the trade wa- trade machine, that's what comes up. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, Jack Eichel is is a is a loser. I don't mean the the person, but he's what has he done in to help Buffalo? Has Buffalo it's improved? While Eichel he's been and there? who? That's it, Jack Eichel in in uh, going from Buffalo to Calgary in exchange for Matt Kachuk, who I think is like a perfect agitator. And uh, and Sean Monahan, who, who may have led them in goals this year, like this doesn't make any sense to me. If Calgary would pull a trade like that, they would lose half their fan base. What has Jack Eichel done to to improve the Buffalo team? Nothing. No. Yeah, I'm probably with you. In. I think that would be a, a a bad trade for Calgary. I don't know. I, I see Jack Eichel being a poor man's kind of like um, Matt Duchesne. Although I like Matt Duchesne, he's, he comes up and he scores big goals, and he's he's there. I mean, he's been in Nashville this year, but like. Ah, anyway, I'm not a Jack Eichel fan. Um, we we're we're at the end of our show, but I did want to let's, let's take five minutes and just talk just talk about the question. We've got all five right, more. All minutes, right, right, all right, all right. Hey, I'm we fine. We're, yeah. we're gonna do a little overtime. The NFL Network released its top five most balanced teams. Actually, it wasn't the whole. Just one writer actually released it. Um, top five most balanced teams. Now that's you know special teams, I would imagine, uh, but offense and defense specifically. I'd say four out of these five I, I'm okay with, but the, the fourth team on this list, uh, uh, what? Okay, yeah. so he's got Cleveland. Yeah, they're well-balanced. I'm going to give him that. Good line, good receivers, young quarterback, two very capable running backs, two like all pro running backs, really, and then a defense that's revamped with uh, Clowney, who looks pretty good in, in uh, training camp, and, you know, Miles Garrett. Yeah. Um, and they, Their they linebacking core is probably the weakest unit they have, and even that's not horrible. Well, they drafted a, a good linebacker, did they not? They drafted a kid from, uh, was it from Notre Dame? I don't know where, I, I, their draft was good. So I'll give them a balance. Number one, I don't know. But uh, number two is Tampa. I I mean, I get, yeah. I mean, they won the they won the uh, Super Bowl. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, but their running back, their running back core is not where Cleveland, like Cleveland's got a very good stable of receivers. You know, Mayfield is right up there too. Their running backs are pretty good. Their O-line is decent. Tampa, yeah, I mean their you know their tight end spot with uh, uh, Gronkowski and stuff not being uh, around, I don't think is going to help them. Their running back situation is sort of a, a hit or miss by committee. Um, you know their old line is actually pretty good, which yeah, obviously you have to have with Tom Brady, but their yeah. secondary is is probably their most susceptible unit on defense as well. Yeah. So I, I would give Cleveland the edge from a, a paper standpoint. Would you put Tampa over KC, who's number three on this list? KC, the thing with KC is that <clears throat> aside from Tyreek Hill and Kelsey, you know, you're looking at Demarcus Robinson, who I like. He's a Florida Gator. But then you have McCole Hardman are kind of the two other. Now they got that uh, Cornell Powell kid who was drafted, but I, I just don't think from a rookie standpoint, you can't really – I don't know, grade them properly until, yeah, yeah, until you see them on paper or on the field. Um, You know, their running back situation is decent, but, you know, Edwards Hilaire is probably their stud. Uh, I don't know. I think, uh, yeah, defensively, like Tyron Matthew is probably their strongest defender other than maybe Chris Jones, but, 
you know, balanced, yes, but they're not at the upper echelon that the, some of the guys that Cleveland has at this point from a defensive standpoint. So hmm. I don't know. I, okay. I, I agree with Cleveland being probably right up there. And, and that's yeah. not even considering that Greg Newsom kid that they drafted who's a corner for, uh, I think it's um, Northwestern or whatever. He's very good. So add him across from Ward and John Johnson, those guys, like he's going to help that. San Diego, I'll never, I'm not going to, I'm never going to call them Los Angeles. Forget it. Like that's just going to happen. That's how we're going to differentiate from the Rams and the Chargers from now on. They are the San Diego Superchargers. And uh, it's just how it's going to be when I'm talking about them. So if I say San Diego, folks, I don't mean Padres when I'm talking football. I'm talking San Diego, a Superchargers. They're number four on this list, and I'm baffled. Number one, they didn't make the playoffs. Number two, their big acquisition was Matt Filer on the offensive line. Um, former Steeler who, I mean, he's okay. Um, defensively, they lost Melvin Ingram. Um, they picked up Linville Joseph. They have Bosa. They lost Hayward. They're all, all pro cornerback. Um, I balanced. I, uh, Hunter Henry's gone. Like, why would they even be on this list, Brock? It's an odd, that's an odd team to pick for a team to even make the playoffs. It is an odd thing. And I mean, I pull up their depth chart and like they got a rookie penciled in right now at the left tackle with Rashawn Slater. Right? Which, you know, we talk about which quarterback might take a step back in their sophomore season. And, and I picked um, their quarterback. And I'm like, yeah. you're going to be likely running for your life. I don't understand. So Brian Bulaga must not play left tackle very well because he's scheduled in at the right. And if I'm San Diego, which is not what it is, I would flip him, you know, like start the rookie at right tackle. Anyway, I just, I don't see, even in the depth chart, they don't even put the linebackers, which is because they don't really have anybody worth noting from a linebacking standpoint. Yeah. Like their best linebacker is, you know, is Murray. Mm-hmm. Who's they got rated at like an eighty? I I, I don't I, even know I how could, they're on this list. But. I can think of the, the three teams off the top of my head right now who are more balanced than they are. The Titans, I and mean, people could say, "Well, the Titans they couldn't they couldn't stop a nosebleed on defense." Well, you know what? The, they're still pretty well balanced for them to make it as far as they did. Uh, the Colts that's a balanced team. They can pass now. Carson Wentz is there. They, I mean, they'll be fine. They have a good defense. Obviously, you know about their offensive line. Uh, Green Bay. I mean, Green Bay was one play away from making the Super Bowl. The Green Bay should have been in the Super Bowl. They're super balanced. Got a good running game, good offensive line, capable receivers, with the best receiver in the NFL, arguably. Um, their defense is good. Like, Green Bay is more balanced than San Diego. Um, that's, a, that's a weird choice. Pittsburgh. I mean, Pittsburgh won the North. They were 12-0 and 0 for crying out loud. Like, hello. You know, I was thinking the Rams would qu- more balanced. The Ra- Rams? Yeah. I mean, geez. Come on, guys. Whoever that's that's a terrible choice, and I don't know why that one choice is so so upsetting to me. Um, it's just throw. It's just a guy throwing it out there, saying, "You know what? I'm going to sound cool, and if I'm right, if they win, I'll look like a genius, and if not, then well, so what? People are going to forget about this list next year. No, I'm not going to forget about it. And it's the too bad. The fifth team, it's too bad you <laughs> use your two minutes on the NBA. We could have given you Sorry. a rant on this. <laughs> I'm grumpy today. And uh, the fifth team on our list is Buffalo. Um, ah, safe to say they're pretty well balanced. I mean, the, some people say, well, their running game isn't necessarily. Ah, their running game's fine. I think they'll uh, I think they'll be better this year. The offensive line is pretty good. 
Uh, they had a good, I thought they had a, a deep draft. Uh, they drafted by need and, uh, you know, good secondary, good linebackers. They get to the put pressure on the quarterback. Uh, that's a, that's a, that's a balanced team. Good receivers. Yeah. I think they can upgrade from the receiver standpoint and their tight end standpoint. Tight end, I see that. Receivers, I mean, what's well, what's left to upgrade? I mean, I mean right now, Be- Beasley's in there. Sanders is a, uh, you know, the back, uh, the next slot in that thing. Yeah. So depending if Beasley gets vaccinated or not, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I don't know if Diggs. they're going to move anybody out. Yeah, there's Diggs, but then you got Knox at tight end is probably the best one they have, and they got Gabriel Davis. You know, who's, you know, not Big. bad, but you know, they could use a bit there. Uh, running back. Again, we'll see how they kind of pan out this year, but their overall grades within the pro football focus here is <coughs> Singletary is the highest one at 80. Their secondary is really good. Um, anyway, it's uh, – I think the, the, the point of this is that uh, San Diego or the Chargers <laughs> or L.A. whatever should not Odd be on the top choice. five. Uh, agreed. Agreed. Ah, I'm glad we got that off our chest. <laughs> Uh, I'm dying. It's, right. it's getting close to fantasy football drafts. It's getting close to all those kind of talks. So we're going to have to figure out if we're going to, uh, participate in a fantasy football league. Uh, if I'm even gonna, like, we used to run one. I don't know if we're going to do it anymore. Um, anyway, it'd be kind of fun to see if our, uh, our listeners, if you're doing the, the secondary polls to see what kind of talk they want from a football standpoint, do they want us to do into, uh, fantasy football uh talk you know uh recommendations and maybe stuff like that too i don't know uh what people want but uh i don't know it'll be interesting so it starts to ramp up the analysis moving into the uh the 2021 season so it should be a lot of fun uh do you have any uh hey if we're gonna go out we're gonna go out to the fact that What's your nickname again? What'd you come out to? Uh, sexy boy. Uh, sexy boy. <laughs> okay, this is, I'm not going to refer to you that, but sexy boy and I beat our fact checker, Kurt and Scott oh. Endicott, in a two v two golf, and this was Pep's first time playing golf in a long time, and I gotta yeah. say, he's a mini putt fan, but he was draining. 40 foot birdies. Uh, I think you drained a 20 some foot birdie as well. Like you, you, you drive for show putt for dough and you really brought the putter. So kudos to you, but uh, we needed to make sure we address that today. Thanks. Thanks buddy. That was a hack job right up until the, right up until the green. My one, my one hole that I could say, you know what, from start to finish nailed it was that one par three up the hill where I got on the green in the one shot, and then I, I putted. Uh, it was like a left to right downhill drain. That was my one claim it's a, to fame. It's a I'm, short I'm hole, but it's a, it's a tricky hole. And it is a tricky hole. You hit it right close and drained it, and we moved on <laughs> and never looked back and won by four or five strokes. Hey, that's what you do. So the challenge will be on. But the song we're going to go out to was also playing at one of the times we're doing our uh, – our, our golf tournament. It was a, an old classic. Used to be my uh, my jam back in the day. <laughs> Everybody Sounds has like a sexy boy. Close to sexy. Close boy. enough. <laughs> You're sexy boy. I'm fat boy. Here we go. It's a mouth of respect. Have yourself a great night, everybody. 
We'll see you guys next week. Uptown, downtown, all around the town.